All right. Open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. We finally made it to chapter 5. Okay, two more chapters. We're about 30 weeks into the book of Ephesians. We've got about 10 to 12 weeks left, uh, but we're finally into chapter 5. And where we're going today is we're wrapping up this kind of mini-series within a series that we've been preaching on over the last seven weeks. The series has been based on what does it mean for us to grow up and want to be Jesus, okay? So if you go back seven weeks ago, we asked the question to everybody, what do you want to be when you grow up? right? And so there were different answers. Some people said doctor. We had lawyer. We had teacher. Uh, Eric said he wanted to be an NBA basketball player, right? If you guys remember, which is great. That's awesome. You want to do it. But through the sermon, we said, no, like ultimately for the Christian, the desire should be, I want to grow up to be Jesus. Like as, as I mature, as I grow, man, I would love to be conformed to the image of Christ more than any other vocation possible, right? So then we came to week two, and we started off the second week sermon. I said, hey, like, what do you guys want to be when you grow up, right? And the answer would be Jesus. But Eric still said MBA. Just kidding. <laughs> He's, like, so bad right now. This is great. No, but the desire, right? We want to grow up and become Christ. And so we said the way that that is accomplished is by centering ourselves on the gospel, by constantly focusing on Jesus and what he's done for us, and then by putting on the attributes of Christ as we live out of that gospel centrality, that we would live the way he lived, that we would love the way he loved, think, feel, see, hear, and act all the ways that Christ does. And that should be the goal and what we try to aspire to. And so what we get here today is the final week of what this looks like. And we're going to talk about love. Now, this is a really difficult topic to talk about, and I realize this over the different times we've talked about love, and it's not because love isn't amazing. Love's great to talk about. It's that we've all heard it so many times, and oftentimes the trite Christian line is, well, God loves you, right? And, and hear me, I only say trite because we sometimes receive it that way because we hear it so often. Do we actually take the time to explore the depths and mine? What does it mean? That the God of the universe, the one that spoke everything into existence, that thought up all of this, loves us. And that's what we get to look at today. Now, in a lot of ways over the last six weeks, what we've been doing is saying, hey, put on these attributes so it's been a lot of, hey, I want you to act like this, start doing these type of things, live in this type of way. Now, that, that isn't application or rather even more going to be an implication of what we mostly talk about today because the reality is I think the more that we can live in and understand the love of God it will flow out of you really easy you will give away what you receive very easily there's a uh, there's a line you guys ever heard the line things are more caught than taught you ever heard that? Like it's a lot of times like with your kids, if you're parents and you have kids, things are more caught than taught or teachers with students, even friends with friends. As kids kind of come around, right, they begin to just see what other kids do or what parents do and they just start emulating that. Okay, and so this is somewhat of a TMI moment, but I'm going to share it anyway. Um, but the other day, Finley, this is probably like two weeks ago, he's like, Daddy, I got to go, go to the bathroom. I got to go to the bathroom. I gotta, he starts freaking out. He's dancing, you know, and stuff. And I was like, all right, man, then, like, go. He goes, but I need a book. I was like, why do you need a book? You can't even read. He goes, well, you have a book. And I was like, ah, right, TMI. But in that same way, um, 
Like, he was like, no, I can't go yet because I don't have my book to read. And then literally, like, I never said, hey, man, like, when we use the restroom, we read, okay? <laughs> like, like, we're readers, okay? No, he just <laughs> has slipped in a couple times. What's that? You know, it's a book. I, sh- I need Clifford, okay? And so I was like, no, you don't. He's like, I do. And so we went, we got a book, and then he went to the restroom, okay? Now, he only did it that one time, so it's not like a thing. But uh, nevertheless, people see stuff, and then they emulate stuff. And there highlights what we're trying to do today, which is just to look at Jesus and look at the way he's loved us. Look at the way that God has loved humanity. And I'm hoping that the more time we spend just talking about the love, looking at the love, uh, spending time around the beautiful love of God and what he has done on our behalf, that naturally we'll just begin to catch some of it ourselves. Because I could come up here and I could say, hey, love people this way, and I can give you a bunch of stuff, and the applications are vast. But no, I want us to dwell and sit in the love of God that what flows out of you would be that very thing that you catch today, okay? And so that's the direction that we're going. Now, here's an interesting thing as we kind of get to this little series within the end of the series within a series that I want you to notice. Throughout the book of Ephesians, the name Jesus is mentioned 56 times, okay? 56 times in a six-little-chapter book, right, we get the word Jesus, And every time, except for in verse 21, it's always Jesus with a title, okay? Most times it's Jesus Christ, then you get Jesus our Lord, all of these different type of attachments to the word Jesus. Jesus, 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 this, Jesus, that, you get the idea. Except for in verse 21, except for in this passage that we've been trying to break down. It's just Jesus. There's not the Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus, the Lord, Jesus, the Godhead, Jesus. It's just the person, the human Jesus. And I think the reason for this is because what Paul is trying to communicate, that everything we've talked about over the last six weeks, what we talk about today is actually attainable for the human being. Because he's saying, look, Jesus, the human, lived this out perfectly. He is the embodiment of what it means to be perfectly human. And so then, man, guys, guess what? There's, there's a chance with the indwelling of the Spirit of God that we too can actually walk this out. Like, like, we can uphold this type of desire for truth. We, we can well up in righteous anger. We can, man, be full of encouragement and exhortation. We can desire and continuously be covered by righteousness. Like, th- these things are real for us. They're real opportunities for the people of God to walk in these things. And so what we get today is the final wrap-up piece. Now, um, how many people have seen the movie Christmas Story? My last little intro piece before we get to Christmas Story Watchers. Okay, great. You guys know that part of the movie where the mom's getting the little kid Randy dressed, okay? And like she just keeps piling on the layers and his arms are stuck out like this and she pushes them down and they just flop back up and he can't walk and stuff. And what she's doing is what she's preparing him to go outside, right, into the snow, to equip him so that when he enters into this cold, dreary day, uh, I think it's in Cincinnati or whatever, uh, that, man, he would be equipped for the elements. Wraps his face up in a cloth, and so all that's left, right, is like this tiny little eye slit, and he walks out to go confront his day. Fun fact, did you know that when they filmed that movie, the entire filming was all sunny, and so all that snow you see in the movie was fake? Very interesting. Kind of ruins the movie for you a little bit. I'm sorry. Okay? 
Um, so, so they're sending him out, right? So he's saying, hey, I'm going to put all of this on you so when you go, you are fully clothed and equipped to live out in this world. And, and hear me, a silly illustration, but that's what we're talking about in this series. That the, when you put on these attributes of Christ, it's not just so that you become a moral people because we don't care necessarily about you just being a great moral people. This is not about us trying to say, hey, we just got to be better people. I want us to be more moral. That's all good and all, but it, it lacks any type of life if it stops before we leave the room. That the whole purpose here is not just that we become moral people, it's that we become moral people who live in such a way to bless the world. That we become fully equipped not for being inside the house, but being fully equipped for being outside the house. So when we go out, when the elements try and impede upon us, we are fully clothed. We have put on everything necessary to be the correct example and advocate for Jesus as we leave. So last thing I'll say as we enter into this is that love, okay? Well, let, me, let me ask you the question. What do you think is the most necessary piece of a, like, if you're going outside in the middle of snow, what's the most necessary piece of clothing? What? Louder, I can't. Gloves, jacket, no? Shoes, right. So you guys were wrong, and everyone else was right, okay? Shoes. Like, if you go out and you don't have gloves, you'll make it a little while, right? You don't have a beanie, you're probably all right. Jacket even, a little while longer. If you go out in the snow without shoes, you've got 10 seconds tops, okay? Shoes, hear me, or sorry, love, okay? <laughs> this is a tweet. You guys want to tweet this. Here we go. Love is the snowshoe of Christ-likeness, Okay? Yeah, it's pretty good, right? <laughs> Love is the snowshoe of Christ-likeness. But hear me, if we can center upon any of the things we've talked about, this is the one. If there were ever a week to actually pay attention to whatever we say up here, this is the week. That the love of God and the love that should be within us will move and motivate you to all the things we've talked about, okay? That being said, Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, in light of everything we've talked about, right? Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, okay? Not a ton to break down there. It's just Paul saying, listen, in light of everything we've set up to this point, let me sum it up for you. Be God, right? Which, gosh, that's kind of a difficult calling. He says, okay, do this, do this, do this, put on these things, live this type of way. And here's, you want a summary? Be God. That's really Really a high calling. It's one thing, I think, when we potentially come up here and say, hey, like, I want you guys to live more like Christ. I want to live more like Jesus. But there's just something so kind of weighty and powerful by Paul saying, hey, I want you to be God. Like, I want you to imitate, like, God, the one who, again, miraculously spoke the world. I want you to be like God, imitate what he does. So when people see you, they really ultimately see him is the idea. And so how does that work itself out? Notice how the, in the sentence structure you have to understand here. Be imitators of God as children and walk in love. These things are conjoined together, right? So in other words, what Paul's trying to say, in summary of everything we've talked about, if we want to be imitators of God, you have to walk in love. In other words, if you do all of these other things but love is not present, you're not imitating God. If it's just, hey, a checklist of what it means to be a good Christian, I will show up, I will do the right things, I'll make the right decisions all the time, but love is not the motivating factor of that. You are not, I am not imitating our good Lord. And that's a, that's a kind of a, that's a difficult proposition to think through. 
Now, in the midst of all that, okay, there's a big question that has to be asked of us. And it's who is our God? Because, hear me, if it's, if it's not the God of the Bible, if it's some other God, and I'll tell you, our world and culture will try and sell you different versions of God, then listen, verses 1 and 2 here, you'll never be able to apply them. Because you, okay, so the different gods that exist out there are very powerful. I was just having a conversation this morning with some friends uh, just about the power of money, the God of mammon in our world, and how it has a completely different set of ideals that it's trying to convince you of and cause you to live your life by. And so what does it look like for us to say, no, 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 I I don't serve that God. I, I serve a God of the scriptures. Origen says this. He says, what each one honors before all else, what before all things he admires and loves, this for him is God. And so then for the last couple weeks after I was kind of putting this together, I began to ask myself those two questions. What in my life do I love and admire the most in my life? And then what do I honor before all else? And and here's my results. And I would encourage you guys to ask yourselves the same questions. I think I do love and admire Jesus more than anything else in my life. Like the more I kind of came back to it, I was like, man, I I truly like love and admire Jesus. He is fascinating. I I mean, just to study him and to know him and then to be like, wow, there's this level where you're like, you're God. It's it's phenomenal and, and amazing to me. But when I got to the other question, what in my life do I honor before anything else? It got a little more difficult for me to honestly, consistently always say, oh, yeah, that's also Jesus. Because I began to kind of just run through moments in my day, moments in that week, moments in my life where I'm like, you know what? The way I'm acting, that seems to honor me far more than it honors God. That seems to puff up myself and my kingdom, and my righteousness, and my whatever, far more than his. And and so it caused me to to just sit down on my knees in prayer and begin to ask, like, well, why is this? Why the discrepancy? I love and admire Jesus, but if I'm honest, sometimes I don't honor him as such. I oftentimes prop myself up. What is going on here? And, man, I just spent the next two weeks after that revelation, every time I come back to study and prep this text, was always returning to, Jesus, I just want to see how you've loved me. And in some way, that comes off as kind of this selfish, narcissistic, like, God, show me why you love me type of thing. But I began to realize more and more that I don't know if I bought into his love for me as much as it seems the scriptures did. And so the rest of our time, I just want to talk about how exactly he has loved us. Because it calls us beloved children. Like, it calls you loved children of God, that when he sees you, he sees you the way, if you're a parent, you see your kids times infinity. Like I, I, and, and that's helpful, right? Like, or, or just think of something you love so deeply, whatever that thing may be for you. And then try and multiply that times an exponential amount that says he sees you and loves you far beyond that. Again, this becomes difficult to talk about because we talk about the love of God all the time. And so how do we compare and how do we look at the depth except by just studying what he has done? And so with that being said, 
Uh, let's, uh, let's, let's look at some text here that I think will be helpful for us. <coughs> Excuse me. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through, uh, 1 through 8 says this. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers, understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. In other words, in all the stuff we talked about, we even talked about generosity. If you give away everything you have but have not love, you gain nothing. Ready? First Corinthians, now verse 4. Love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and love never ends. And here's where I want us to peer into the heart and the life of God is because God is love. The Bible says that a handful of times throughout the scripture. So let's reread this. Ready? God is patient and kind with you. God does not envy or boast. He is not arrogant or rude to you. He does not insist on his own way. He is not irritable or resentful. He does not rejoice at your wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. He bears all things for you, believes all things, hopes all things, endures and has endured all things for you, and he will never end, and he will never fail. This, this is the God that loves you. It's that type of love that motivates him, and that's the type of love that we live out of. So now, listen, that's just, a, that's just him. That's his character. So let's look at what he's done. I want to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. Okay, it says this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did a God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit in the tree that is in the midst of the garden, now, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Now here's, here's a really interesting line that brings us to this text. That's why I chose this. Okay, remember, Paul's encouragement to us is to be God. It's to be like God. Now, the last time that, the, that this was uttered to the people of God, it did not go well. Hey, you should be like God. This did not go well. Verse 4, okay? And the serpent said to the woman, you'll not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. And she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Which, that, just that last part of the text, right, is just kind of ridiculous. The first moment man has an opportunity to take responsibility for something, he blames it on his wife, which is just terrible, Okay. What we see in this text is the beginnings of the earliest vision of the love of God. And here's why. 
Now, what you have in this moment is God saying, listen, there's one thing in the garden. I just created you perfect, okay? There's one thing I don't want you to do, and then they do it, right? They eat of the tree that they were not supposed to eat of. And so what they do is in that moment, they realize that shame has come upon them. It said they were naked and unashamed. Now they have moved to clothing themselves by themselves with their own little fig leaves and trying to remove their shame in their own way, right? They were naked and unashamed. They hid because, uh uh-oh, now I realize and experience shame. I will try and cover myself up with these fig leaves. God comes in and says, what are you doing? Why are you hiding? And they say, you know what? It's God because we've disobeyed you. We're trying to hide because we're ashamed of our nakedness. We're ashamed. We're experiencing emotions we haven't experienced before. Now, verse 2b, okay, going back to our text in Ephesians, gives us the answer for how God redeems this moment. Then we're going to cycle back, okay? So verse 2b says this, As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Okay, so the people going back in Genesis were separated from God. They were forced to go into the world. God gave them a mission, cultivate the world, and then he draws together a people called Israel for his good pleasure and to bless the world. Now, I'm getting somewhere with this. Ready? And so as they live this life in this world, a sin-filled people not too different from us. God says, hey, there has to be a way for you to be restored in right relationship with me. And so he creates with them a covenant. Within that covenant comes some stipulations and rules about how they could be returned in right relationship with God. And so every year, the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies, the tabernacle where God resided, and with him would bring two lambs along. One lamb would be brought in and slaughtered, and the other lamb would have the sins of the nation prayed and laid hands upon, and then they would send that one away as the scapegoat. That's where we get that word. And that would be just sent off into the world, okay? And so every year to atone for the sins of the people of Israel, this ritual had to happen, where one would be sacrificed and blood would be shed, and then sin would be bore by a lamb and sent away. So what we get in verse 2b is the fulfillment of what God was trying to do all the way in the beginning. Because what we get in the rest of the Genesis text is this. In Genesis 3, 20 and 21, the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. So, okay, put this all together now. We go back to the story in Genesis. Man had just tried to find a way to justify self, to remove shame, to remove the pain, to remove the guilt, to remove all of the emotion that I think comes into, I just don't know if I'm that loved. And so they cover themselves up, and God says, that's not going to work. And so what does he do? It says that God closed them. With what? With animal skins. So in this moment, we go all the way back to Genesis, and we get a picture of Jesus. Because even back in Genesis, when man tried to cover themselves up and their shame up, when they tried to achieve restoration by themselves, God said, no, there must be death. There must be sacrifice. So an animal was killed, 
and then the animal that was killed, the bloodshed and the cloth that was given, then clothed the people before they were sent out. The first picture of the gospel we get in scripture is God clothing and covering the shame through a sacrifice which leads into what he would do with the people of Israel, which leads into what we get in Ephesians today, that Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And this is why, we can go through other texts, right? This is why uh, in Isaiah 61.10, it says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me in the robe of righteousness. Why John would say in 1 John 1, 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Why Paul would say in Ephesians, this is a chapter from now, stand therefore, having fastened the belt of truth and put on the breastplate of righteousness. And so on and so on and so on, all the beautiful, rich verses we get from the New Testament, how we have been clothed in the righteousness of God. Now, here's why we say all that, and that was a rant, and I get it. All we just talked about is how God in the very beginning of time, in the very first moment where he could have cast us aside, where he could have said, no, you messed it up. I gave you perfection and you couldn't obey one single thing. The first moment he had to say, let me just wipe this and just... He says, no, I'm going to show you a picture of the plan I'm going to enact to show my love through all of history that brings us to today, that brings us to August 5th, 2018, that over and over and over again throughout the history of the world, God has been intervening and sacrificing himself for the sake of you. And the more I think about me and think how quick I am to abandon him or quick I am to chase after another God or, or another thing that just seems better in the moment, the more we can study scripture and see that over and over and over again, Israel and the people of God have done nothing but over and over and over say, thanks, but no thanks. Say, God, well, I love when you save me, but I don't want to live for you. Over and over and over. And yet the relentless pursuit of God in his love has never stopped for us. And it sent his own son to the cross. To die the death that you and I deserve to die. Living a life we could only dream of living. And raising on the third day to grant new life to the people. That all who would believe in him would be saved. Now, I don't know if much of that was new, right? Oh, oh, God died for your sins? Oh, really, is that what happened, Vince? Right? Maybe you've heard that. He's been planning that, praying for that, strategizing that, thinking about that, and enacting that in every decision made from Genesis to Matthew. And from Matthew to today, to put you in this seat this morning to know him. Like, think about every single decision in the history of the world orchestrated that the love of God would be known to your heart and your mind this morning, that you would walk and act like him. Where else is this offered? The answer is nowhere. 
Like the, this, this unbelievable, unconditional pursuit of another. Or no matter what you've done, no matter the deep shame that you feel, the deep lack that you feel, or hear me, even the great pride that maybe you feel about self, God still loves you in the midst of all that. It's like, I, I, how do we convey something that's so impossible to grasp other than to continually go back and study what he's done for us? And so I guess my encouragement to us as we wrap up is that we would be a people that dwell and sit in and get around each other and get around our world and say, let's just learn about Jesus. Like, l- let's just... Let's just see what he's done. Let's study the Old Testament and let's just look how God in a relentless pursuit has come after a people that consistently rebelled. It's a fan. We We do crazy things for the ones we love. We're willing to look foolish for the ones we love. We're willing to lay down everything. That's exactly what Christ did for you. It's exactly what he did for me. And so I guess now I'm just kind of getting to this, like, please do this. Like, like pl- please, like, when we talk about, hey, guys, man, we'd love for you guys to, like, consistently go home and study the scriptures. It has nothing that, I, I don't want you to just be a person who reads the Bible. I want you to be a person that sees the love of God in your life. Like, I, I want you to be able to open up the book of Ecclesiastes, which just seems so depressing. <laughs> and still, what? <laughs> nice, there's a time for it, that's true. There's a lot of Bible jokes this morning. You guys, all you non-Christians, like, I hate this place. <laughs> I want you to be able to open up and pour through the word of God and constantly see and ask the question, how does this show God's relentless loving pursuit of me? Knowing full well, it's not just you. This is a corporate thing. God's calling a people together. But no, he has also really beautiful individual love for you. And guess what? He also has really beautiful individual pursuit-like desperate love for every other person in this world. And so if we want to be a people who live and embody this well, love has got to be the center. You have to know how much you've been loved. You have to know how much God loves all people. So we start treating all people like they're loved by that God the same way he loves you. That we would lay down our lives and we would sacrifice the way our king has for the sake of someone who is deeply loved by the father who created them. At the heart of all of this, listen, if we get everything right over the last six weeks, but we have not loved, we have failed. So again, get, get in around Christ. Be around him, be around his people, be around his word, pray to him. Just do like whatever gets you close to Christ, do it, okay? Like spend that time and start catching all of these things and living out of what we catch, amen? Let's pray.